Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. Well, uh, I'm doing something this weekend that I've never done before. Uh, I am actually going to preach two separate messages this morning. So we're going to be out at 12.54 today. I'm just kidding. Some of you are freaking out. You're like, it's spring break. Two messages? One is bad enough. It's a little bit different than normal, okay? It's kind of too many messages. Uh, and in, in about 15 minutes, I'm going to start our Follow Me series. Uh, but before that, I want to share a completely separate message with you that I feel the Lord is asking uh, for us to talk about this weekend. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write the title of this message down. Incidentally, the title of both messages is in the form of a question. Here's the title of message number one. Will you bring me what I asked for? Will you bring me what I asked for? Now, this is not, this is not a question being asked from my perspective, all right? So I'm not saying who will come lay their gifts down at my feet? Okay, this is not that kind of question. This is a question I believe God is asking each of us. And he asks it daily in every area of our lives. Will you bring me what I asked for? If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Exodus chapter 25. And we're going to start in verse 8. This is a passage that's very special to me. Uh, because this is a passage that the Lord has used over uh, the last couple of months to really help me understand how to do what he's asked me to do in this season uh, of our church. And we're in the middle of some construction stuff. I don't know how many of you saw our new small sign out in front of the new building, uh, out in front of the building. Um, if you didn't notice, some of you never noticed signs and things like that. Um, but just go outside and look at the, the size of the sign. I'm pretty sure no one is going to miss our sign anymore. It's like eight times the size of the old one. Uh, but we're, we're doing a lot of new things. There's a lot of changes happening and going to be happening over the next probably six months. And this passage in Exodus chapter 25 has really helped to settle me. So I'll read you verse 8, and then we'll kind of walk it through. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 says, and this is God speaking to Moses, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. Now, don't think for a moment that I'm going down some replacement theology road. I am not suggesting that this verse is literally speaking to our church. It's speaking to the people of Israel. But in the same way that the book of Romans was not literally written to you, it is for you and it is for me. Well, this passage is a passage that while I know God was speaking literally to the people of Israel and to Moses about the temple, I also understand as he was telling them about this tabernacle, He's used this to help me understand what this building project of ours looks like and how it's supposed to go. And it's very simple. I'll take you back a couple of years. Uh, I was experiencing a little bit of stress uh, related to the finances of the church. It wasn't because we were spending money 
outrageously, something you need to know about us, uh, we'll make a dime stretch as close to a dollar as we possibly can. Doesn't mean we're cheap, just means we've tried to be really good stewards. I always hesitate to tell you things like what I'm about to tell you because some of you might take it the wrong way. But we're about to be five years old this year and this is the first year as a church that we've ever had a budget. Now, I know that goes against everything I teach on biblical stewardship, but do as I say, not as I do, okay? I'm just kidding. Here's why, and and you'll understand, because listen, I came from an organization in Dallas where we budgeted the air in every room, okay? I mean, that's that's how serious we are about budgeting. And then I came out here as a church planner, and I had this great idea. We're not gonna have a budget for a while. And so I shared it with our elders and I said, hey, we're not gonna have a budget for probably a couple of years. And they looked at me like I had done lost my mind. They said, well, help us understand. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you like the number zero? They said, well, no, typically not. It just depends, you know, what are you getting at? I said, listen, our budget is gonna be zero. And they said, oh, well, we really like that. That's great, you know, keep it as close to zero. I said, listen, and you know this, When you give someone a budget, what is typically going to happen? The chances are increased that they're going to spend it. So here's what I said. I came up with a solution to that. I told the whole staff, there's no budget. (laughs) There's no budget. And so we, we were able to save through some really lean and tough times and live off of 70% of everything that comes through. We wanna be great stewards. But I was experiencing some anxiety and some stress that I didn't really even understand several years ago. And I felt like one day, the Lord really just walked into my office that morning and and dealt with me. I felt like he said, Preston, it's, it's as though you and I are sitting at a table in a restaurant and we've both just been handed the menus and you open up your menu and you realize this is the single most expensive restaurant you've ever been in your entire life. And you're freaking out right now. I mean, you're, you're looking and you, it's dawned on you, you can't afford anything on this menu. And I know you because I made you and I can see on your face, you are trying to come up with the most cool and dignified way to tell the server, I've already eaten. I'll just have a water with four Lemons, please. Whole lemons. And if you have bread, could you bring double bread and quadruple butter, please? Preston, I'm watching you. You are flipping out. And I'm sitting at the same table looking at the same menu. And surprisingly, I don't have any anxiety or stress. I look at the menu and I I think, well, I'd like two of, of the salads. I can't figure out which one. I just want them both. Give me both salads and I'm going to do surf and turf and, and I want dessert for everybody in the restaurant. And you're listening to me put in my order and Preston, I am watching your anxiety start to climb. And it's all because you've convinced yourself that I'm going to stick you with the bill. And I'll never forget the words I felt like the Lord said after that. Because he started by saying, don't ever forget the words I'm about to say to you. Son, 
I always pay my bill. I am not sticking you with my bill. But listen closely. The only time you need to get up tight about being stuck with the bill is if you bring me something I didn't order off the menu. Your number one job as the pastor of this church is to bring me what I ask for. And when you do, I'll always take care of it. But if you start bringing me things I did not ask for, congratulations, son, it's on you now. So for the last couple of years, that's been my mindset. My job is to give the Lord what he asked for and to lead a church that desires to simply give God what he asked for. When we had our miracle offering in October, I didn't give you a bunch of details about what it was for because what I felt like the Lord said was, this is not about what it's for, it's about what I'm asking for. I'm building a church, not me, I felt the Lord was saying, I'm building a church filled with people who simply have a heart to bring me what I ask for. There's a word for that, obedience. Well, we started this construction project several months ago. If you've ever been through a construction project, there are lots of phases and lots of steps you have to take. And so I, I am learning some things about myself, and you know me if you've been here for any amount of time. I'm going to involve you in the process. I'm not going to make decisions in some meeting room, and then we're just going to go. I, I feel like one of the things God has asked is that we do this together, which means I don't hole up in a room with a couple of people and do it all by myself. Okay, we're doing this together. God's asked for it to be done that way. Well, I'm learning some things about myself as I go through this, this process and this construction project. And one of the things that I didn't even know I was learning that this last week, the Lord made sure I understood was I'm trying to save him money. And let me explain. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I told you this several months ago that at some point we were gonna sow 10% of our construction budget into a Messianic congregation in Ashdod, Israel. Phenomenal congregation with incredible pastors. And two weeks ago, we did that. We sold $62,500 into uh, Beit Hillel in Ashdod. It was one of the most special moments so far for us as a church. Um, and I believe that it's just the beginning of many, many other great opportunities to give. Three hours after we gave that gift, uh, and, and the pastor and his wife actually happened to be in town. We had lunch with them. Uh, three hours after we gave them that gift, Pastor Brad's walking through the parking lot, and the realtor for this building happens to be driving through the parking lot. And he says, hey, a couple of updates on the building. Uh, backstory, they've been trying to get us to use the office space upstairs to occupy it, and it's about twice as expensive as what it's really worth. And so he said, update number one, uh, they've decided they will throw in cubicles if you take all of the office space upstairs. Now, what you have to understand is the cubicles are probably from 1972, okay? Well, Brad kind of chuckled and he said, we appreciate that, thank you, but that space is very overpriced and we just can't do that. He said, update number two, eclectic, the business on the other side of your part of the building has put in their 60-day notice and they are leaving the property. And the owner of the building would like to know if your church would like to occupy it. So Brad calls me, he tells me, of course, we're excited. We had actually asked when we took over this other part, 
uh, for the children, we had asked about that space and they said it's going to be 18 months. So the soonest you could do anything is a year and a half, uh, but that's if they don't renew. Well, magically, right after we sow extravagantly into this congregation in Israel on none of our radars, this eclectic building pops up. And incidentally, for those of you who like to kind of pray ahead of where we are, go ahead and start praying for that copy fast part of the building. Because <laughs> I think that's supposed to be our student center. So you can just be praying for that too, okay? We'll get there. I've already told Pastor Isaac and his team, hey, be praying about that building. That's ours. So let, let's just whip. The, the owner has been great to find these other businesses, other places, and, and they want to be in other places. And now that our huge honking sign is on the front of the building, everyone wants to leave. So... Uh, I get it, and we'll take their space. But when Brad called me, my first thought was, that's not in the budget. How does someone who didn't have a budget for four years now start using that to twist it against God? But that's not in the budget, Lord. We, we don't have that in our budget. We're already trying to do as much as we can with the space we've been given. How many of you know when the Lord's trying to teach you a lesson, he will make you go down a path to ensure that you learn the lesson he's trying to teach you. Anybody ever been in that classroom? Yeah, I feel like I am stuck on the front row of that classroom right now, okay? And I'm having to live it out in front of everybody. So I'm saying to the Lord, that's not in the budget. And here's what I felt like the Lord said. Preston, remember that illustration several years ago, that picture I gave you that we're in a restaurant that you felt you couldn't afford? I said, yeah, absolutely. That's one of the most special pictures you've ever painted for me. And it literally changed the way I pastored the church. He said, I want you to go back to that restaurant, except this time you're the server in the restaurant. And I have ordered sea bass off the menu. And you went back to the kitchen and instead of getting me sea bass, you went into the freezer, found frozen tilapia, thought it out, and brought it to my table. And I want you to hear the conversation, son. And I just felt, you know how the Lord just kind of takes you down a road. I just felt like the Lord said, you brought me the tilapia. And my response was, I, I ordered the sea bass. And Preston, you had the gall to respond and say to me, yeah, uh, see, Father, uh, the sea bass, the sea bass is expensive. And this tilapia, I have it about every other day. If you blacken it like this, it's amazing. But the best part about the tilapia is it's a tenth of the cost of the sea bass. Yeah, but Preston, I ordered the sea bass. That's what I want. Why did you bring me the tilapia? Father, it's still fish. You remember that whole be grateful thing? Just eat the tilapia. But I don't want the tilapia. I want the sea bass. Now, some of you are thinking, where is this going? <laughs> and rightly so. Here's where it's going. Can you imagine being Moses? And God says, here's what I want my tabernacle to look like. Can you imagine being David and Solomon, and God saying, here's what I want my temple to look like. And the extravagant 
extremes, it seemed like, God went to establish his house. Can you imagine being Moses and going, wait a minute, we don't need acacia wood. We could just go get driftwood for this. I know that's how they responded. It's not in the book, but when we get to heaven, I think we're going to get to read between the lines. Surely somebody had the thought, listen, God, this tabernacle, it's a little over the top. I can save you a fortune. Here's the problem. God wants that part of the building too. And truth be told, that's not really a problem. It's yet again another phenomenal opportunity that God has given us. So I asked, well, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? What are you asking me to do? He said, remember what I told you a year ago. Give me more room. And you gave me all the room you could find for me. But I found more and I want it. So I want you to go stand before the people and I want you to ask them one question that I so frequently ask you. Will you give me what I asked for? So literally, here's what I'm asking you to do. In October, we had our first miracle offering and many of you, not just sacrificially participated, you obediently participated. But some of you may not have. Maybe you felt the Lord say, we just got to the church, it's not time, we don't even know if this is going to be our church home. Some of you have just started coming, about 15% of our church has started coming since October. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you, if you call this your church home, if you don't, if this is your first time or this is not your church home yet, I'm not talking to you right now. Don't feel any pressure, but if this is your church home, I'm not asking you for money. Truthfully, I don't even know what I'm asking you for. I'm just asking you to ask one simple question that the rest of our church asked in October. God, what do you want me to do? I want you to take the next two weeks and I just want you to have the guts to ask God, what do you want me to do? You know what's funny? I have a friend uh, who, before the miracle offering, uh, we had talked and they had felt like they were supposed to give a million dollars to the building fund. And you know, you hear stuff like that, and I'm sure some of you are pessimistic about that stuff. Um, but this, it, it was legitimate. And I stood up in front of the whole church and I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Lord what he wants you to give. So they prayed about it as a couple. And the number they felt the Lord gave them was 300,000. And so that's what they gave. Here's what you need to understand about this church. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And this might shock you. I don't want to pastor a sacrificial church. I want to pastor an obedient church. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. So here's the big question. Will you take some time over the next two weeks? If you didn't participate in our miracle offering, I'm simply asking you to ask God, is there something you'd like me to do? If there is, what is it? And then just do whatever he says, even if it's less than a number you're thinking of right now. And I promise you, 
we're not just going to steward the money that's given towards this. I don't want to do it unless we're going to turn it into souls. It's just a waste of money to me if it's just for more space. I want God to turn it into souls. I want to take our little fish and loaves and turn it into food for thousands. So would you ask him, what do you want me to do? Would you have the courage to do it? Look at how God in verse one of Exodus 25 took care of establishing his tabernacle through Moses. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. If you feel any kind of pressure, bow out quietly. Don't ever give God a gift out of pressure. They're just not pretty gifts. I'd rather you give $10 with a cheerful heart than $10,000 begrudgingly. Just pray about it. Let's see what God does, all right? But one way or another, so that you know, I believe we're gonna take that space. And we're gonna take, keep taking as much space as we can. And I want you to be praying about the whole process, all right? All right, message number two. Here's the title of the message. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? We are starting a series titled Follow Me, and it's going to go up till Easter. As Christians, we have been given the responsibility of following Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus. I think we forget what that means and what it looks like. And so in this series, we're going to take a look at some of the places Jesus went to that we are called to go to as well. And this first part of the series is simply to calibrate your thinking to help you understand just what it means to heed the call, follow me. So I'm going to give you three things to help you understand what these words, follow me, actually are. And here's point number one, it's a command. Follow me is a command. If you've got a Bible, flip over to Matthew chapter 16. This whole series is built around this one verse. This command to Christians to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's a command. We are called to follow him. Now, some of us, when we hear the word command, we get this idea, this picture of a dictator looking down on us saying, now you better do this right now. Okay, when as the church did we get it in our minds that a command from God was a bad thing? If you think a command from God is a bad thing, I've, I've got some homework for you this week. Go read Genesis chapter one. He's not angry. He's not a dictator saying, now I'm about to create you, son, and you better do what I ask you to do. You better be bright because if you don't shine bright, I'm going to wipe you from the face of the earth. That's not his command. What does he say? Let there be light. 
command. We are commanded as Christians to follow Jesus. If you're in Matthew 16, flip back a couple of chapters to Matthew 8. And I want you to see what that word command really means, I believe, from Christ's perspective. Because it's not some dictator's, it's not a, a, a command from a dictator. It is a command from one with all authority, but it's not a command from a dictator. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 19. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me. Follow me. And let the dead bury their own dead. Now, was Jesus asking this man to disrespect his family, to abandon his father, to not honor his father? Of course not. Here's what I believe Jesus is saying. I need you to understand priorities. And the priority that takes precedence above all other priorities is the command to follow me. That's the one at the top. Follow me is a command. Here's the second thing, follow me, is. It's an invitation. Follow me is not just a command. It's also an invitation. Open up to John chapter 1, and while you're turning there, I want to give you a one-liner that I want you to remember, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write it down after you find John 1. Here's the one-liner. Follow me is an invitation you receive, not an invitation you give. I'll explain it in a minute. Follow me is an invitation you receive, not an invitation you give. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, helps us understand that this command is actually one of the sweetest invitations in all of Scripture. Listen to how Jesus walks through this beautiful moment with two of his disciples. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, this is John the Baptist, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? Can you imagine this? Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? What can I do for you? What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? If, if Jesus asked you right here, right now, what could I do for you? I wonder how many of us would say, I just want to know where you're staying tonight. That was their response. Just tell us where you're spending the night tonight. Listen to how Jesus responds. Verse 39, Jesus said to them, Come and see. Where are you staying, Lord? Come and see. The sweetest invitation. It's not a barked command. It's a sweet invitation to follow him. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. 
I want you to think about something. Think about all the people who locked eyes with Jesus in scripture. And think about those when Jesus in essence said, what can I do for you? And their response was, Jesus, if you're asking me what I want from you, here's what I want, here's what I need. I need you to come with me. I've got someone sick at my house and I need you to leave here and come with me to my house. They extend an invitation to Jesus for him to follow them. I think it's a perfect picture of what many of us as Christians find ourselves doing on a semi-regular basis. We wake up and we say, Jesus, you can follow me today. Sure, come with me. And it sounds so spiritual to invite Jesus to go with us. But understand something. Jesus is not sitting in the front of this room excited about this one thing. He's not sitting there going, this is the day. This is the day. Tomorrow, John is going to invite me to go to work with him. I'm going to, John's going to make tomorrow bring Jesus to work Monday. I've been waiting for this for 30 years. No, no, no. Jesus didn't get excited about you taking him to work. His desire is that you follow him to work. And trust and believe. Following Jesus to work looks very different than asking Jesus to follow you to work. Do not be at all surprised if you decide to follow Jesus to work tomorrow. And he makes a pit stop by your prayer closet. Don't be surprised. You follow him to work, he's going to walk into that Matthew 6 room. And don't be surprised one bit if when you get to work and there's a perfect parking space in the front of the building. And Jesus says, no, follow me to the back of the building. And you pull up far away in the back of the building, having no idea why. And then you see someone. And Jesus says, follow me over into a conversation with that person. Remember that verse I gave you this morning? That wasn't for you, that was for them. I want you to share that with them. Listen, a follow me lifestyle. How do you know you're living it? Here's the way. A follow me lifestyle, Jesus gets what he wants far more than you get what you want. That's how I know I'm following Jesus. If I live a Jesus follow me lifestyle, I win. I get what I want more than he does. But you know what's funny about getting what you want compared to God getting what he wants? That even when it feels like we're winning, we're actually losing. If God's not getting what he wants, then I lose. Tomorrow, wherever you're going, I'm begging you. Don't get there before Jesus. Follow him there. Follow him there. We can't extend Jesus the invitation to follow us. He didn't come to the earth to follow us around. He came to the earth to extend the sweet invitation, not just to die for us, but the sweet invitation for us to follow him. That leads us to the third thing, follow me is. Follow me is also the opportunity of a lifetime. I think we forget this. 
follow me is the opportunity of a lifetime. Look at the next verse in John chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Do you realize what Andrew is saying to his brother? Bro, you're not going to believe what just happened. We met the one, the son of God, the savior of the world. We met him today. And guess what? He said we could go wherever he goes. What does the Bible say Andrew does next? Andrew says, if I'm allowed to go, you're allowed to go too. And he takes his brother to Jesus. Now I want to go to the beginning of John chapter 1 and give you a very quick refresher course. Just in case you have forgotten what a big deal it is that Jesus came to this earth and said to you, come and see. I want you to come follow me. In case you've forgotten what a big deal that is. And if you look at Christianity as a drudgery and following Jesus as short of the plague, I want to read you the beginning of John chapter 1, and I want you to see just what a big deal it is that the Son of God says to you, you can follow me everywhere I go. John 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, the Word, speaking of Jesus, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human, became flesh, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. When you were growing up, did you ever have a hero? that you wanted to follow around. Maybe it was a kid who was a couple years older than you, who was so much cooler than you, who was so much more athletic than you, or so much smarter than you, or dressed so much better than you, or got to go places you always dreamt of going, and you decided, I'm gonna follow this person around. This person is awesome. Maybe you didn't have an experience like this, but for some of us, we tried to follow that hero around, and that hero turned around and said, get away from me. You're a freshman. Don't follow me around. I want you to think about this. Jesus is not the most popular kid in school. 
Jesus is not the world's greatest businessman who we should pay thousands and thousands of dollars just to have the opportunity to have an hour lunch with. Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world, the Messiah. And he came to this earth, not just to die for you. He came to this earth to issue you an invitation to follow him wherever he goes. The conversation goes to something a little bit like this. Jesus, I, I, I want to follow you, but I followed some people in the past and they hurt me. They had a line. They wouldn't let me cross it. I couldn't go some places they went. I couldn't be in conversations they were in. And, and I'm just asking, can I follow you? It's all I want. Just like Andrew, I just want to know where you're staying tonight. And I want you to know, I want to go wherever you go. Here's what Jesus says. Come on. Come with me. I want you to know, everywhere I go, you can go too. And I want you to go with me. I don't want you just to go to the same places. I want you to go with me. Now, Jesus, uh, you need to understand something about me. I'm latchy, like Velcro latchy. I mean, Jesus, when I go all in, and that's how I'm wired, I go all in. Um, if you go into the bathroom, even if I don't have to go, I'm going too. You realize one of the best compliments you could pay a disciple in biblical times was may the dust of your rabbi be upon you, which simply means may you have the opportunity and ability to go everywhere he goes. Jesus, when you go into the bathroom, I'm going too. If you have something on the back of your pants, I'll be the one to wipe it off. <laughs> Here's what he says. I know. I get it. Come with me. Jesus, do you realize what I'm saying? I'm going everywhere you're going. No, I understand. I don't think you understand. But come. Everywhere I go, you can go too. See, being a Christian isn't just about making Jesus Lord of your life and asking him into your heart. Being a Christian is about being a follower of Jesus Christ, which means our goal that God the Father has established for us on this earth is first and foremost to follow his son everywhere he goes, to follow him to the street corner in downtown Phoenix and hand out free meals and Christ's love, to follow him to the club and minister to sex trafficking victims to follow him into new seasons in our marriages where God gets what he wants more than we get what we want. Listen, I make you a promise. If you'll stand before God today in your heart and say, Lord, I'm gonna answer yes to both of these questions. Will I bring you what you asked for and will I follow your son? God, my answer is yes to both questions. I make you this promise. Things will not always be easy. There will be challenges. You will be required to step out in faith. But I also promise you this. 
this ride called a following Jesus will be more fulfilling and more exciting than any roller coaster ride in all the earth. And it will only be a snapshot of what heaven is going to look like. I'm simply asking you to answer these two questions. Will you give God everything he asked for in every area of your life? Nothing more, nothing less. And will you follow his son, Jesus Christ, everywhere he goes? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.